0: Shalom Aleichem, dear friends. Uh, last week we spoke about a unbelievable story that is brought down in the Torah Saolo by the Ramah. That after the Khurban base Hamigdish, Yumiao Novi was met by Plato, the Greek philosopher, who went on to ask him two questions. Last week we discussed the question he asked him of why would a person cry over a building the other day is just sticks and stones and Yermia answered him that there is a Kedusha that is able to be brought down into, into sticks and stones by a Bnei soil there is something that is unique, that is special that that uh cannot cannot relate to, cannot understand. Um, today we want to focus on the other question that Plato asked Yirmi al Novi, and that is why would you cry over the past? A wise man doesn't cry over the past. You understand that. What's done is done. What's been is been. No point crying over spilled milk. Now, I want to point out that Plato stressed this question questions being that a wise man doesn't cry over the past. Because, certainly, a, a foolish man does. And not only does a foolish man cry over the past, but we know that there's a prohibition in the Torah... In Dvorim, Perigudal, Pasakalev, that Jewish people are not allowed to slash their skin, cut their skin, and tear out patches of hair from their head over the dead. And uh, the Guari there explains that this is because the, the pagans, that's exactly what they would do, they would feel so much the pain and the loss. Of what uh, of what had happened, that they would they would cut themselves. So Plato's not asking from that. Plato's saying, but you're a chacham. You're not you're not one of these barbarians. So being the you're a chochem, and you understand that you slashing at your skin and tearing out your hair is not gonna bring back the dead. So so to crying, what's the point of it? Uh, so we'll start off with the Gemora and Hagiga. The Gemora says, In the hidden recesses, in the hidden chambers, there my soul cries. Uh, the Gemora says that this is alluding to of course, on a simple level, to the to the soul, to the nefesh. But the G'mon um, Brachas goes through and compares in five different ways that the soul of a person is analogous to Hashem in this world. And just a few, to list just a few, is that just like the soul is not visible, but gives life to the whole body, so to Hashem who is not visible, but He gives life to the whole world, just like the soul is itself not doesn't have any form or shape it fills up the body which has different limbs and different limbs need different type of uh, to do different types of things and can, they can all do their thing even though the soul um, is uh... doesn't have those limbs to it uh... so too Hashem he powers everything even though he himself is incorporeal um, So Hazal over here understand that the illusion is not only the, to the with that which is being spoken about directly which is the soul but also to Hashem to Hashem crying that Hashem cries over the Churubim Base of Migdish, over the exile of the Jewish people. So... Says the Gemara, wait a second, how can that be? How can you say that Hashem is crying in these inner chambers? Is there such a thing as crying in the heavenly palace? Doesn't the Pasek say, O's the There is strength and joy in his place? So Gemara says, that's not difficult. The, we are talking about, In the inner chambers, and you, the positive that you're bringing, is talking about in the outer chambers. So, what are these inner chambers and these outer chambers? Now, of course, when it comes to Hashem, these are all analogies. There's no, all these are just meant to speak to us in a way that you know to give us an analogy to grab onto. Hashem doesn't have a palace per se, Um, but there are. just like a person has the world of externality, the physical world that we live in, and there's the neshama, the inner spiritual world that lies beyond it, so too in the Pamali Shalmala, in the Heavenly Legion, there's such a thing. And so specifically the, the inner recesses of the spiritual worlds that are crying and pained over the destruction and not the outer manifest ones. The obvious question is, well, what's the difference? Why why is it that the pain and the crying is only in the inner chambers and not in the outer chambers? So, first of all, to understand the concept of crying over what was. If what was is gone, and that is no longer, so then Plato is 100% right. There's no reason to cry, even if it may be that it used to be much better. Now it's much worse. But what's the difference? What's going to be gained... By crying, so, so work towards making it better again. But what's going to be gained by crying? But if a person understands that the world is comprised of spiritual roots, of uh, abstract truths, of abstract concepts, of something which is true always. For, uh, an analogy would be, an example would be, I should say, um, 1 plus 1 equals 2. And that is always true. That is a very fundamental concept. A concept that more or less the whole world that we know is built upon. Um, so, there's, there are other transcendental truths. There, there are other uh, absolute truths. Such as, for example, the existence of Hashem. That's an absolute truth that's even higher than 1 plus 1 equals 2. So now that th- those various spiritual truths, transcendent truths, interact with the world we know. With the world down here. And the world down here can correctly represent and express that transcendent truth or the world here can be broken and in one way or another not have the vessels not have the ability to express that which really is true. And that when when there is such a disconnect when there is a break that although something is truly is true, it really is meant to be but right now due to hate, due to human error to our Itzahara, uh, the physical world down here does not reflect that. So then there is a, there's a tension. An um, analogy we can think of is something is known as the phantom limb syndrome. Phantom limb syndrome is that a person who has already lost uh, a limb some time ago but nonetheless their mind, to a certain extent, refuses to accept that it's missing this arm, this leg, whatever it may be, and they can still feel sensations in that arm. Now, obviously, those sensations are not coming from the nerve endings that were once upon a time there, because there are no nerve endings anymore. But the brain is still refuses to let go of the concept of the of the vision that it has of itself, of who I am, uh, to now view the, the person as one without an arm, no the, the mind refuses to accept that and instead continues to view it as the arm being there and there's just something wrong That's a, that would be an example where the surah the abstract idea, the concept that which defines the entire thing is in conflict with the homer with the, with the physical actual flesh and blood and, and, and the bone that's here, what is the person? Does this person have an arm or not? So in an abstract sense, the person has an arm, and when there's, going be a there's going to be a resurrection of the dead, this person will have two arms again, and yet, right now, the person is in a state of having only one arm. So, in a physical sense, listen, there's only one arm over here, but in a spiritual sense, there's two arms over here. That, is the big Chiddush that we came to say that in the spiritual sense, in the abstract truths, in the world of abstract truths these things don't change a person, a tzuras adam, the form of a man, the, the concept of a man is a man with two arms so even though this man over here is missing a limb, it doesn't change the fact that man has two arms so, too, when it comes to the base of Migdish. We view that the base of Migdish is something that, oh, is a nice building, a nice, a nice structure, oh, it's too bad, that there isn't one today, there once upon a time used to be, but what's the significance, what's the difference there once upon a the time there used to be, but now there's not, so, okay, if we rebuild it, it'll be great, but in the meantime we don't have one. No, no, no. That is not the correct way to look at it the correct way to look at it is to realize that Hashem is the source of the existence of ourselves and everything that we know and not only that He is the source, but the source means the root and therefore there has to be a connection, has to be just like any fruit to live, to blossom, to, to, to continue developing, has to have a connection all the way down to the roots, through the, through the branch through the trunk, down to the roots, which is where the life comes from, so to everything that exists has to have a connection to Hashem. And therefore, the true vision, the true depiction of our world is a world where there is a bias for Hashem to be in. A bias means a, a place, a mochum, somewhere that connects the Shemaim of the arts a place where like Yaakovinu describes as enza shamaim this is this is the this is the gates to the heavens that's that's the that's the that's the, that's the basic english that yakovinu saw, there lies vision the of all of life and and without that to be disconnected from Hashem, that's a lie that's not that's not the truth that's not the way the world Ought to be, that's a perversion of the truth. That's a perversion. It's a breakage in the world. This is the physical world not conforming to the abstract truth that the physical world should be a bias, a place for the Hashas Hashina, for the dwelling of of the divine here in our midst amongst the Jewish people. So that. Is something that Hazal tells us that any generation that the base Hamikdash was not rebuilt in its time, it's as if they destroyed it. What does that mean? It means that the base Hamikdash, can be, we can view it as, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that should grow back naturally. It's like a, if you have a very hardy, strong plant with great roots and it's trying to grow forth. And you go and you cut that, and you cut that sapling down. So it starts growing again. You cut it again. So it starts growing again little by little. Slowly it starts growing again. The only reason why there's not a big tree over here is it must be that someone keeps cutting this thing every year. Every year. Klaus By not being with B'tshuva. By not changing our ways. We keep cutting it. We keep destroying it. And that's why it's as if this year if the base of the movie is not rebuilt, it must be that to a certain extent, we destroyed it again. Because the spiritual reality dictates that it must be here. That it should be here. And therefore, it will be here. And it's coming back, and regrowing, if not for an artificial breakage that keeps on being done. So now, what is crying crying is the refusal to accept that which the physical world displays before you. It means I have a concept in my mind, I have an understanding in my mind, the truth of how things ought to be. And when my eyes show me that the world looks very different, so then my eyes are turned off. The mind says, the soul says, No! This can't be. This is not true. This is not reality. I do not accept this. And so the eyes fill up with water. The eyes go blurry. The eyes become unable to see. Because the person says, I cannot accept this. And, litzarenu Tzareno the... Doradea, those unbelievable tzaddikim, those people that were left Mitzrayim, they were with Moshe Rabbeinu and Maimad Harsinai, accepted the rachilus, the negative talk of the maraglim about Eretz trial, and they cried the Bahia, they cried a crying of emptiness, of, of, of nothingness, they were crying over that this is their lot, that Eretz Yisrael is what Hashem has restored for them. That is what they cried about. And by crying about that, to a certain extent they said, no, we do not accept the reality that this is our land. We conceptually do not view this as such. We Either want to go back to Mitzrayim, want to go somewhere else, want to go to Uganda, want to find a safe, quiet, peaceful corner in the world somewhere to in, to raise our families, our children, to live in peace. And that crying broke their connection to Eretz Yisrael. Because crying refu- it denies, it refuses to accept... The reality that lies in front of you. And that was a good reality. That was a true reality that lie in front of them. And that's why Chazal say that right there and then Hashem said, You cried a shall you cried an empty crying on this day, on the ninth of Av, you cried a crying over its Now it will be established for generations that there's gonna be a crying over the ghouls. A crying which is meant to undo that original crying, by crying over the exile, over the Hurban Beis Hamikdash, what we're saying is that this world that I look at now, a world that does not have Hashem in a revealed state of kingship, ruling over the world, in a revealed state of closeness to His people, a world where there is no home for Hashem, where there is no place for the Shekhinah to rest, a world where the Jewish people are exiled from the land, scattered amongst the people, subjugated, this world, I cannot accept this world. And we, when we cry about this, and we say, I, I refuse to accept this, and rather I strengthen myself and I hold on to the vision, to the truth that I know to be. That there is meant to be a base of English. There is meant to be a regathering of the Jewish people into Eretz Israel. By doing that, we actually empower for it to happen. Instead of accepting the physical, quote-unquote, realities on the ground, instead we refuse them and we grab on to the spiritual roots and say, this is the truth, this is the reality. And by doing so, we bring it out into into actualization. And so that's that's the difference. We can now circle back around to the question of Plato. It turns out that there are really three categories of people. There are the non-wise people, the pagans, those that when they have a loss, whether it be a loss of a loved one or a loss of one of their idol-worshipping temples, so they cut their flesh, they tear out their hair, because they say, this loss is permanent. And so, I must reflect that as well. I'm also, you know, I have the, the physicality is broken. There is no, this, this relative of mine is gone forever. And so, I cannot remain whole. I cannot remain complete. I have to cut myself to display that. On the other way, the other extreme is you have the philosophers. The philosophers say, listen, what's done is done, but anything you're going to do about it is not going to change that. And the Torah way is to understand that it's not, the world is not just physical, and the world is not just intellectual, but the world is an interaction between the spiritual and the physical. There's a dynamic, there's a tug of war, and therefore we cry. We, on the one hand we don't cut our flesh because we understand that there is an absolute truth and eventually the absolute truth will be revealed. So whether it be the loss of a loved one or the destruction of the base of Middash, we know that this is not a permanent loss and therefore there is no need to cut our flesh and to tear out our hair. On the other hand, we know that there is a reality, a spiritual reality which is obscured and that needs to be recognized, needs to be held on to, needs to be shown to be true and to be real. And that's done through crying, through refusing to accept the physical world as we are presented with it, the physical world as we know it. That's the middle ground that we're trying to walk, not to be pagans cutting it desecrating our bodies not to be cold philosophers accepting things as they are but to be spiritual beings who change the world through our tears That Hashem we should be Zohar that the Moed of Tisha B'av should turn from being a day of pain and crying to a day of joy and celebrations and if not this year then in the future And it should be through the tears that we cry on Teshuvuv.